This week's Major Spoilers Podcast Weekend Type Edition, and yes, I know it may not be the weekend when you're listening, Hello Future People, is brought to you by Ray Henderson, whose mom was uh, the mother on the Brady Bunch. In any case, it's a kind of a shiny day, and this one goes out to you. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, podcast, The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the weekend edition. So glad that you could join us. I hope you guys all have your thinking caps on, because we're going to uh, divert from uh, our crazy shenanigans, mindless banter, and we're going to talk some thinking man stuff. Pistol whip the next man who says shenanigans. (laughs) So to make sure that we don't get into too many shenanigans this week, we have asked Dr. Peter Coogan, the director of the Institute for Comic Studies and the co-founder and the co-chair of the Comic Arts Conference, to join us once again. Peter, welcome. Hi, Stephen. Now. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Rodrigo. Nice to have everybody here. Hey. So a Uh, month ago. some definitions of you. (laughs) <laughs> a month ago, Dr. Coogan, when you were here, we were talking about, you know, different ways to read comics. And at the end of our discussion, you said that there's no reason to make a sequel to The Watchmen because the because the sequel has basically already been written. And you made it very cryptic. So it has us. been written. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I sent you some clues and right. we're going to walk through those clues. And if you're listening, stop the pod, take a pause right now and run up and get your copy of Watchmen. I've got mine right here. So you can read along with us. Absolute All edition. Right, I got mine right here. Rodrigo's got his. I have mine over here. Paperback bound. I have the original issues. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the original yeah. issues, but I always use the copy that I teach from. Ah, there you go. And and really, that just encapsulates this this crew so well. I have a, a pretty basic paperback. Mm-hmm. Steven has a giant hardcover <laughs> super deluxe edition. Matthew has issues. Well, to be I fair, have a stack I, of comics and plastic. To be fair, I have the originals too. I'm just too lazy to right, go and right. dig them out. So, yeah, and I have the copy that I got from DC Comics. Nice. As a desk copy. Oh, excellent. Now, here's yeah. a question that I have for you, Dr. Coogan, and maybe this, maybe this is the simple answer, because this has been up on the uh, Major Spoilers forum for about a month, and everyone's like, well, and they've been trying to figure out the clues. Isn't the story that we're reading the one that appears in the New Frontiersman? Uh, no, not exactly. It's okay. not entirely clear. There's some supposition in what I do, but let's start from... The first excerpt of Under the Hood, because this is uh, this is basically what started it for me. I picked up a book um, by Sarah J. Van Ness okay. uh, called uh, Watchmen as Literature, mm-hmm. published in 2010. She, it was actually her undergraduate thesis that she turned into a book. So uh, it's possible to do that. And she had said, uh, she pointed the excerpt from Under the Hood in Chapter 1 and a paperclip to note. Right on the first page there, which it says, we present here excerpts from Hollis Mason's autobiography, Under the Hood, leading up to the time when he became the masked adventurer Night Owl, reprinted with permission of the author. 
And uh, she said, this we is the novel's only reference to the narrator. And I thought, what narrator? And who is we? And where is here? Right. And so from that, it spun out. And, and actually, this is one of the great things about teaching, because some of the things I'm gonna, we're going to talk about actually came from uh, my students. My students noticed things and proposed things. So it's a mm-hmm. wonderful thing about teaching. So I want to start with that. Now, the, the import of that, we present here excerpts from Hollis Mason's autobiography. So in other words, Hollis Mason's autobiography is a real book. Under the right. hood, whoever the we here, they have it as a book. Mm-hmm. That means that this excerpt from Under the Hood is being republished in something. And it's being republished, and this is a word that I'm going to use, diegetically. And all diegetically means is in the world of the story. Mm-hmm. So if I say diegetic watchman or or any of those, any use of diegetic, <laughs> I just mean in the world of the story. And so off at a 45 degree angle. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, this has to be published somewhere. Now, if you, you actually look at the paperclip note, I think what we have here is, in a sense, the page proofs, like that this was a note that was going to be added to this first page, and it just hasn't been typeset yet. Mm, okay. But what I argue is that, in fact, this excerpt and all the other excerpts is, in fact, published in Watchmen. There is a comic book called The Watchman, just like the one you hold in your hands, by Alan Moore, in quotation marks, and by Dave Gibbons, in quotation marks, published by DC Comics, in quotation marks. And because there are other texts, there are other notes on the other texts that uh, seem to hold it together. And and they all add the, uh, if you see the... Um, the chapter from Treasure Island, Treasury of Comics. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You know, this following is reprinted from chapter five and with the permission of the author and publisher. So <clears throat> that means, in fact, that, uh, um, oh, actually, I just figured something out that I hadn't noticed before, which is that this is strangely not published by DC Comics, because when it says with the permission of the author and publishers, that actually means that DC Comics had to give their permission. So this isn't a perfect reading by any means, mm-hmm. but it's a reading that uh, explains some things. And, and I think the other thing to point out is that uh, this, because it doesn't hold together perfectly, it's not clearly not Moore and Gibbons intent, but, I believe it's a valid reading of the evidence that we have. Right. Okay. So let me. So if it's published, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead and finish this thought because I have a question that oh. then becomes kind of obvious. Then. Sure. I was going to say that the uh, what this means if it's if it's published diegetically, if it's published in the world of the Watchmen, then what are the uh, what are the implications for Veidt's plan? Did his plan make it? Did it work? Or did it fail? And I believe that there's an answer for that if this book has been published in the world of The Watchmen. Uh, so the question, though, is, is the book, The Watchmen book that we're reading, is it published monthly? In the world of the Watchmen, and is what we're reading 
this first volume of the Watchmen, does it take place? I mean, in the world of the Watchmen, does is it released at the same time these events are occurring, or does it come out after the events have taken place? It it I, couldn't be at the same time. <laughs> well, the only reason I ask, you know, is, how long it took. Well, the only Go reason ahead. I ask is because they say reprinted with permission of the author. Well, the uh, Hollis Mason is is dead. He got beat up. A bunch of thugs came into his house and killed him. It's true. So theoretically, that means that they could have gotten the permission ahead of time. But oh, um, okay. again, the <coughs> but I, I don't I don't think that's true. I think with the permission of the author is the equivalent of with the permission Post of the estate of the, of the author. Estate. Okay. All right. Yep. All right. Right. And while ideally, again, it would say published with permission of the estate, um, mm-hmm. if I think Moore had planned all of this out, mm-hmm. um, it, I don't think it's necessary. I think that there's sort of workarounds for, for these little problems and, and there's never going to be, uh, you know, so the reading isn't, isn't, again, it's not perfect, but I think it's, it's interesting what we're going to talk about. Okay. And right. it, it's, it's a way that it holds it all together in a way that makes sense. Okay, so let's work from that. Now, if we say it's from the uh, the permission of the author of the author's estate, who would have inherited Hollis Mason's copyright of Under the Hood? And, and I just want to pose that and get to it later. Okay. Okay. The, the thing you need to ask yourself is, who is the source of this material? And so, you know, who would have access to all the various materials in the book. And I want to uh, look at, just point to chapter 1, page 9, panel 4. If you look on Hollis Mason's bookshelf, you have Under the Hood, Mobile Maintenance, and Philip Wiley's Gladiator. Okay. And if you're familiar with you're obviously familiar with Under the Hood. And mm-hmm. what, did, uh, what was Under the Hood? Under the Hood was a deconstruction of the superhero in uh, sort of the golden age of the superhero, right? Mm-hmm. Philip Wiley's Gladiator is a deconstruction of the science fiction Superman. Uh, this is the science fiction Superman is a trope that started with uh, Frankenstein's monster and it, 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 it goes up and uh, through H.G. Wells, and it ends up with Philip Wiley. And in Gladiator, he completely took apart that trope, the idea that you'd have powers that you got from science and what would you do with them. Well, Gla- the, the character Hugo Danner in the novel, he ends up saying, you know, what would you do if you were the strongest man in the world? I would, you know, I, I, I'd rule the world as a tyrant. I'd become a super detective. I'd stamp out crime. I'd, you know, I'd do all these things. And he'd say, but I am the strongest man in the world, and I did nothing. Mm-hmm. And 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 he realizes at the end of the novel the only thing you can do with that super strength is to destroy. If you become a ruler, mm-hmm. try to solve the world's problems, you become a tyrant. And this is the it's the ruler tyrant destroyer dilemma of the superhero. And you know Superman actually in his first year starts down that road, and then the ultra humanite comes up. So it's the supervillain that keeps the superhero heroic. Mm-hmm. And without supervillains, there really isn't a place for the superhero in the world. And, 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 and so both of these books kind of take apart that heroic ideal. All right. So working through it, um, 
we're going to see. So you've got the under the hood excerpt, mm-hmm. and then moving on, chapter four, page fifteen. Who would have access to the conversation between Hollis Mason and uh, and uh, um, Doctor Manhattan after Mason's retirement? Well, only the two of them, right? Right. Yep. Who else would have access to that story? Anybody that one of them would have told that story yeah. to. Anybody that one of them would have told that story to. Okay. Look at the chapter at the end of uh, chapter six. The arrest records of Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Now, if this is being republished, someone would have to have access to those records. They'd be right. public records. Right. But we also have to go back into the uh, New York State Psychiatric Hospital, the Charlton Home. This says that somebody has some resources, yeah. mm-hmm. financial connection and others. So we've got a picture emerging here of a person who has access to Hollis Mason and mm-hmm. or Dr. Manhattan, mm-hmm. who has the ability to get police reports. Um, and there's some other. Oh, go ahead. Moreover, it's someone who now I know that when they when they brought Rorschach in in story, he was revealed to be Walter Kovach, but it would be someone who would have to have a little bit more in-depth knowledge of Kovach to go looking for this information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone who would have some access to um, Rorschach's files or his notebooks, and and the obvious place there is the New Frontiersman. So right. you have to ask yourself, did the New Frontiersman publish the Watchman? Well, well, they did. This doesn't receive seem the, like the book that. Well, I was going to say they did receive. They did receive the notebook at the end, and it was a publishing company, newspaper company, that was maybe Absolutely. having some difficult times and maybe needed a way to play up this alien invasion or to. Undo it's this true. alien invasion. It, that's absolutely true. Uh, the thing is, this doesn't seem like the kind of book that Hector Godfrey would be interested in publishing. Mm, no. Right? No. He is pro-superhero. So, I don't think he'd want to take it apart. Now, also, who has access to the story of Dan and Lori's failed lovemaking? Mm-hmm. Well, that's really only Dan and Lori. Right. And or, wouldn't Dan or again someone who has access to Lori since Right. Someone who would have access to Dan and Lori. They, but it seems unlikely that that they would have told anybody about that. Uh but it's possible. Uh, mm-hmm. Rorschach and Dan certainly spend a long time on that uh on that flight to Antarctica. Who knows what they talked about. But of right. course Rorschach's dead at the end. Right. Um all right, so continuing on, and this is, uh, I want to jump to actually chapter nine. I'm going to go back to Blood from the Shoulder of Pallas in a minute. Okay. But John and Lori's conversation on Mars. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a crucial conversation. Whoever's telling this story, one of the reasons that you would want to publish The Watchmen, and one of the reasons that people would want to buy The Watchmen, 
is to find out these sorts of secret stories, right? These right. kind of things would make this book very valuable. I mean, you can think about people who participated in Watergate. Many of them had stories to tell, right? We were, we were just even recently, you know, curious to find out who Deep Throat was. You know, we mm -hmm. find out he was that FBI agent. So, mm -hmm. and if, and he wrote a book and, and published it, right? So, um, I think posthumously, but so now who would have access to John and Lori's conversation? Well, John and Lori. Who else would have access to that conversation? Dan. Right. Right? John, right. Dan and Lori are together. Right. Okay. And, and so then if we go back, go ahead. Well, I was going to say then if you're going to go that way then, who would be maybe the person who would inherit Hollis Mason's um estate might be Dan because the two are like best friends. Yeah. And he would also have access to all of Hollis Mason's stories. He would have access to all the things that who knows what Rorschach and Dan talked about, right? Right. But uh, he would have he has money. Um, you know, he's got these different identities, uh, but he would have access. He would have the resources to get these documents. Yep. Now, going to Blood from the Shoulder of Palace, it's the uh, it's the back document in Chapter Seven. This is a strange uh, article in here. It's it's unlike the others. You know, the um, under the hood gives us all the back history of the Minutemen and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, Rorschach's arrest records tells us a lot about him as a child. Um, you know, even superpowers and the superpowers tells us a fair amount about the world of the Watchmen, right? right? Um, the Treasure Island Treasury of Comics tells us, it gives us the alternate history of comics in this universe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, uh, the New Frontiersman, again, gives us a sense of some of the politics of the world. Uh, the, the magazine, the Sally Jupiter scrapbook, you know, that actually gives us, that actually tells us about the, uh, homosexual relationship between Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis. Mm -hmm. In a very roundabout way, yeah. In a very, you know, it's it's there, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I didn't pick it up the first time I read it. And the uh, the materials from Veidt's desk, you know, oh, give yeah, us yeah, the, a lot of mm -hmm. insight into what he's doing, yeah. mm -hmm. as do the, the final, after the masquerade, the, uh, um, Doug Roth article, you know, that gives us a sense of who, but what does blood from the shoulder of palace tell us? Owls are it's awesome. It's really only an insight <laughs> into, it. yeah, but it's only an insight into its own author. It is an insight into its own author. And that is, if, if we say there's a diegetic watchman, it's Dan Dryberg saying, I wrote this. Yeah. You know, I, I always wondered about that when I read it because it just seemed like, this is boring. I mean, there really wasn't anything in it. Right. You kind of get a sense of, of Dan, but it's not really about him. You know, we know he's interested in owls, in flying machines, but there's it's not about his life, really. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little bit there about, you know, him meeting the owl, and all, but it's not really... So 
there. So, so, so you're saying that uh, Blood from the Shoulder of Palace is basically Dan's signature. Yes. It, it's it's Dan in putting that personal stamp on and, this whole thing. And you know, it's interesting now that you mentioned that if you go back and look at all the paper clippings, now I don't, I'd have to go back and look at the Sally Jupiter one, but up until this point, with the exception of the arrest record and stuff, we see the following text is reprinted with permission of the mm-hmm. author. This is the only one that doesn't say with permission of the author. This is just say, this is reprinted from the American Orthonological Society from 1983. Ornithological. Right. Yes, the Bird Society. Although that's because sometimes, sometimes journals uh, like that actually retain copyright. Right. It, it does happen in academic sure. publishing. Sure. So. All right. Now that gives us, you know, who would have access to um, the, uh, you know, the material from Sally's scrapbook because mm-hmm. Lori would have access to that. Right. What this also points to is the, uh, the back matter from uh, Chapter 10, Veidt's desk. Well, what this is, is it looks to me like photographs. Mm-hmm. So who would have been able to take a picture of what was on Veidt's desk basically the day before all of this happened? Well, Dan. Dan mm-hmm. and Rorschach are rooting around in Veidt's office. Right. You know, we don't see every moment pictured there. We don't know everything that happens. So it's possible for him to have taken a photograph of the desk, right? right. And he says, better grab these papers from his desk. So he's got a lot of background information here. Now, the same thing, you have the same uh, questions about who has access to Veidt's discussion with Dan and Rorschach at Karnak. Well, Veidt. Dan and Rorschach, <coughs> who has access to all the other events at Karnak. Dan. So I think that it makes sense that the only person who could have put this material together is Dan. Given that, what does the publication of Watchmen mean, the diegetic Watchmen mean about Dan and Lori's agreement to keep Veidt's plan secret. And it also has some implications, as I, as I noted in the, in, the, in the question that I sent out to you, that some of the characters, some of the conversations are fictionalized. Like the, uh, the Bernie and Bernard interaction at the newsstand. Right, I was just going to ask uh, Max that. Shea, yeah, Max Shea and Hira's interaction on the island with the freighter. The police officer's interaction... Uh, uh, with each other and at murder scenes and Godfrey and Seymour, the new frontiersman. So, you know, yes, some of it is fictionalized. Although we know that Vite did a lot of bugging Mm -hmm. and it's possible depending upon how everything went down, that some of those tapes were recovered. So you could, you could see if somebody had access to Vite's material that, uh, you know, the Institute for Spatial Studies, they probably had a camera there. You could see Bernie and Bernard there together. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have uh, uh, various records. You know, who knows, fight bugs, all kinds of things. He might have recorded that conversation he had with his servants before he killed them. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Yep. Right. So there's a lot of things in here that are that could be considered fictionalized, but might actually be considered recordings from fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the question you have this- to ask yourself is. Go ahead. So up to this point, we're assuming that Dan has written everything that we see here. Well, that Dan is the source of it. Okay. Again, I, I think that Alan Moore, the Alan Moore in quotation marks, ah, so he the diegetic is, Alan Moore. So Alan Moore is the J.R.R. Tolkien, and Dan is Bilbo Baggins. Exactly. Didn't, uh, Bilbo that's a, that's Baggins recounted, recounted the t- tale to J.R.R. Tolkien, mm. who wrote it down for for us. Exactly. Dan supplied all the information and so forth. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, well, why would he do that? He has made an agreement with Vite not to tell. Because if he tells, the whole thing comes apart. Everything, you know, the, the plan, it would mean that, uh, the you know, he says, Vite says uh, on page 20 of the last chapter, will you expose me, undoing the peace million side for, kill me, risking subsequent investigation. And and Dan says, you know, damned if we do, damned if we don't. Count me in, we say nothing. I believe he would hold to that. Because he fights point, it would all fall apart. Secondly, you know, fight's going to be keeping an eye on it. He knows right. that Vite is capable of killing him, at, you know, essentially at any time, right? Right, right. So I don't think that Dan would try to get this published as long as Vite was, you know, in position, in control of his company, alive, out of jail. So the consequence of this is the fact that this is published in the world of the Watchmen means that Vite is dead, in prison, or in hiding. And in such a way that he's not going to come back. Hmm. Now, in hiding... It's it's still dangerous because right. he could show up, right? Right. You know? In prison, I think you'd have a hard time keeping Vite in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have a hard time keeping Dan in prison and Vite proved that he's, you know, a little bit more capable than Dan in a lot of ways. So Exactly. So I think that what happened was Rorschach's journal went to the New Frontiersman, Seymour published it. And sure, was it was published, you know, this, right. the jig was up. But, you know, and we know from, you know, the way the National Enquirer broke, you know, sex stories about politicians and things leak from the Drudge Report. Or they leak from, you know, various other, you know, kind of disreputable news sources. We know that some story gets out there and then somebody starts to look into it. More reputable newspapers start to look into it, right? Yeah. So I think that's what happened. I think that got published in New Frontiersman <coughs> led to an investigation by other journalistic sources, eventually came out and you know, the government, people started to investigate. Maybe there were hearings. Maybe they just sent troops in. Vite either went out violently or, and I actually think this is more likely, when he saw all the helicopters land, he killed himself. Interesting. That would be a very Adrian sort of thing to do. 
I killed myself right, so 30 fight, minutes yeah. ago. <laughs> that was the note that he left scrawled <laughs> in his own and blood. And not only that, he, on would, he, would, he would make sure that we would all know how guilty we should be for killing his superior yes. intellect. Yes, he, he only wanted to save the world, Dad. <laughs> he, he probably videotaped himself, and then he said that exact thing. He said, you think you're going to get me? Well, I killed myself 30 minutes ago. And they all go, oh! You know, he's got, he's got a, a camera at the door, like a, a video camera. He says, they, yeah. they come up and say, you know, let us in. He says, I'll tell you, I'll let you in in a minute, but let me tell you something first. And he goes off and rants or whatever and has his speech, makes his point, And then he goes, I killed myself 30 minutes ago. So that would I think be you're right. Good. And so I'm, because I'm of, now. and so because of this, there's nothing holding Dan back from spilling this story. Right. Exactly. From sharing from either is, for either covering his ass in mm-hmm. helping up with the cover up or cashing in on the deal. I don't think he's done either. I think what it is is that he has his new identity, right? Mm, okay. Yep. And I suspect he's three or four identities past this. I don't think he's this blonde guy with a mustache anymore. No, he grew a really large beard, and he moved to somewhere in England, <laughs> and he started studying tantric sex. <laughs> and Melinda Gebby is actually secretly Lori, <laughs> and and they also publish Lost Girls diagenically, but that's neither here nor there. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and so the publication of Watchmen means that Veidt's plan failed, and if you look at the time between... The events and when it started to be published, mm-hmm. it fell apart pretty quickly. It would have to. Yeah. Right? Because there's not much time. Because uh, Watchmen was published in uh, the, the, the issues started coming out in uh, fall of 86. Fall of 86. So less than a year. So, you know, sometime, let's say, uh, you know, let's say Christmas. It kind of the story kind of broke. A couple months of investigation. I'd say Vite's dead by March. You know what I really like about this? It it really undermines the last thing that John says. The it never ends. Uh huh. Oh, Adrian, it never ends. I mean, Adrian thinks he's he's saved the world. Really, all he's done is put this stopgap in play. And then you have to think about what does the re- the revelation of this plan. And, you know, Adrian Viet falling from grace. What does that say about the nature of what happens to this world? The right. larger implications are, 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 well, staggering to use a really, really cliche phrase. But this was a world on, you know, on the brink of literal apocalypse. And all of a sudden, giant squid boy came to save the day and everybody banded together against it. It, it, it's really kind of frightening. If this came out inside of a year, how long did it take for that world to completely unravel itself again? Well, yeah, no you know, I mean, does it even, see. is it even a year? Because if you look at the uh, police report, it's listed as October of 85. And if the book came out in 86, like you said, that's just a couple of months later, not even a year later. That's October of 85 and in the fall of 86 or a couple of months apart. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah. Do you have you have the issue there? Uh, the only one the, that I have the is the Watchmen. Absolute Edition. Yeah, I have nope. issue one of, of Watchmen. Uh, when, so mine just says 86. Mine just says 86. It doesn't have Dang. a month in mine. 
September yeah. of 86 is what I have for issue. So 11 months, Which yeah. means it would have been out in July. No, yeah, but September's not September, right? And if you think True, about it printing... it at least two issues earlier, possibly four, so... And you have to solicit it, it been and as you early have to May. write it. So it could have been March. Yeah. Could have so, been almost and, right and after more, more, Vite killed himself. Yeah, Gibbons would have had time to draw it, and, uh, you know, people would want to know, like, how the hell did this happen? And so, somehow, uh, uh, Dan would have banged it together for DC Comics or whatever whatever the publishing company is. And and my theory actually was that uh, Vite probably owns the comic book company, but this is completely unsupported by any evidence. It's just a supposition. Vite probably owns uh, comic book companies because he's got the, the toys and the animation and, and all that kind of stuff. So... <laughs> So consequent, the consequence of this is that DC Comics does not need to publish a sequel to Watchmen. Because Watchmen is the sequel to Watchmen. Watchmen is the sequel to Watchmen, exactly. That, that's, that's, oh, that's scary. My brain just imploded. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go back and read Venom and simplify my brain for a minute. Now, imagine, oh, Matthew, I've been... Drugs bad. I've been sitting on this for over for about a month now, mm-hmm. uh, since the last time that we talked, and I've been sitting here with all the answers in front of me for a week now uh, before we recorded this show. So imagine my glee sitting here going, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" Now here's the here's the best thing about this is so Watchmen is its own sequel, right? Right. Which makes perfect sense for the fact that they went and they rehashed that thing from uh, Batman and Robin, and they made the soundtrack to the trailer. The beginning is the ending. Is the beginning is the end. The end oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. So are we live? Are, yeah, are we living we, in the world it, of the Watchmen? No, no. But the way the comic <laughs> book itself loops. From, uh, from, uh, I gotta remember that for the next time Steven asks me. No, no. no. The way the comic book loops around, but the the book that's missing from Hollis Mason's book, Mason's books shelf, is in fact Watchmen. In the sense that those three books, Gladiator, Under the Hood, and Watchmen, all do the same thing. They all deconstruct uh, the the Superman, the superhero of their period. And that actually mm-hmm. in class, one of my students pointed out, wait, Night Owl wrote Under the Hood. Night Owl wrote Watchmen. Like she made that connection. I thought, mm-hmm. wow, that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. That is. That's that's like creepy brilliant. Yeah. And she had just made another brilliant deduction, which is if you look at Lori, look at the earring she has on throughout. They change, but they almost always indicate her allegiance with another character. Mm-hmm. Her S's are for Silk Spectre, for her mother. The little uh, atomic symbols are with John. It, it, oh, it really, wow. It's really a quick indication that she is a secondary character, that she is mm-hmm. not central. That right. her, in the end, her agreement to not tell is, doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's between, it's John, Vite, Rorschach, and Dan. And uh, Night Owl, that is, that are the four main characters. And that's reinforced in the first chapter. If you look at the characters who get half panel um, introductory, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, 
or, or character sets. You know, uh, you see, you see, um, uh, Rorschach entering. It's on page uh, six of the first chapter. You see Rorschach entering. He's an active vigilante. He's you know investigating the comedian's death. You see Dan sitting next to his costume in his basement. Yep. Right. That perfectly sets up who he is. You see Vite sort of lording it over Manhattan, but Just thinking schmucking his way through the world. Yeah, and then leaving a trail of purple slime wherever he goes. (laughs) And you see uh, Doctor Manhattan, and the interesting thing is his half panel is vertical rather than square because he's different. Mm -hmm. But Laurie doesn't get one of those. Well, let me ask you this: does it does it have to be Dan is the one that's giving the story? Could it not be Laurie if she is a secondary character and the relationship has fallen apart? Why would Dan say, "Oh yeah, Laurie and I were going to get it on, and I just couldn't get it up." She might say because that. at the end, at the end, Dan has that triumphant, and then I totally did her. But then we went underground, and you can't call her and check or nothing. That that sets him up for when he gets to the end. He's not only the hero of the piece, dun da da, but he got the girl, and and yeah. then he totally did her. Yeah. See, I had, and- um, I actually had a friend read this book, and she hadn't read a lot of comics, and she told me something and this is kind of tangential but kind of along that same line you know how she she said she knew who the villain was from issue one wow the scene where vite is looking out the window and the three ozzy davis dolls are are there on his desk (laughs) crippled and broken she said that she knew that ozymandias was the bad guy because of the twisted Ozymandias figures there, that that was a visual cue that he was all twisted up inside and there was something wrong with him and he was someone sh- that she needed to be paranoid of. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's that's actually a little creepy. She's a scary, scary chick. But <laughs> the thing that, that I really like about this is that it, it it continues the theme of the book in that, let's say that, if we take Stephen's supposition and we say that maybe Laurie did do this, what it means, though, is that Dan would have had to tell Laurie things that he had no real reason to tell her, like the conversations with Hollis and the second, you know, the secondhand conversations that Hollis told him that he had with John. And I, I think what that does to me, again, that really would, would kind of whatever character she may have. I always felt like Lori was one of those people who had kind of an internal integrity. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put her in that, that position based on the way the book put it, because that would require her to take direct action. And Lori is all about reflecting whoever it is she's, you know, she's more interested with, whether it's, you know, being a superhero because her mom wanted her to, or retiring because her boyfriend also retired, or going back into action because her new boyfriend went back into action. Symbolized by her earrings. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And her earrings at the end, and this is not a major thing, but they're yellow, which is which is like their blonde hair. Mm-hmm. You know, hmm. she has blonde hair like Dan has blonde hair. Yeah. And uh, um, the other thing is, you know, as, as we noted, um, the shoulder from the blood of Pallas. A reading where Lori was the source of it. Why is that in there? You know, there's there doesn't. Whereas with Dan, 
he's saying, I, you know, again, I think he's saying, I wrote this. Mm-hmm. A, a little, a little bit of ego, perhaps. Yeah, just a little, you know, thing in there for the, you know, the the thing about Watchmen is it's it's a detective story, right? You have to read it. You know, it's there's a line when Bernie is reading the comic book. He says, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You got to read it over and over again. And that's that's true of Watchmen as a whole. And it it these clues you have to pick the clues you have to put the story together and so the clues are all there but you have to put the story together and and Lori being the uh, source of it I don't see any clues for that whereas Dan there's the clues so sure yeah. now I was just throwing an idea out there we got to throw out some ideas and make sure that they've all oh, been yeah. explored mm-hmm. no no Rodrigo yeah. is your head exploded yeah. um shut up I, I, I gotta say. Uh, and and I I was really interested in this, but possibly just being who I am, as soon as Dr. Coogan said the sequel to Watchmen was already written, my first thought was, without any evidence or anything, is somehow Watchmen is its own sequel. And I, I, my idea was this, without reading at all, was that somehow the fact that Dr. Manhattan can manipulate time and space mm. had had sort of like this, you, like there was some recursive loop somewhere in Watchmen. Right, right. Where like the, the story yeah. kept writing itself well, over you know, and over again. He does go into his, decide to go and create his own universe too right. at the end, so. Um, but I, honestly, I like this one better. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And we know from uh, All-Star Superman that we're living in the universe that Superman created. And since Dr. Manhattan is Superman, uh, we are living Captain in... Captain Adam. Well, yes, I know, but he's the Superman. We're living in the universe that Dr. Manhattan created. So, Wow. Could he have created me just a little bit more athletic? Because that would have been awesome. Thanks a lot, John. <laughs> he's trying to teach you a lesson. Way to help out a fellow geek there, John. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he was a geek. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was yeah. for a scientist. He was kind of a jock. Yeah, he really kind of was manly. Dun dun And he got the girl for a while. Yeah, and I don't think he has a history of. He doesn't seem to have a history of reading pulps or comics or science fiction. Really. See, and the thing, the thing yeah, that I mean, always appealed he, to me going through there. Go ahead, Rodrigo. I was gonna say, if he did, then he would have been like, "Oh, well, I'm su- what I'm supposed to do with my powers is uh, be an awesome crime fighter without being prompted to it." Mm-hmm. But instead, he just like slowly goes nuts. <laughs> yeah, actually, this I want to raise uh, just just in terms of cool things about Watchmen is that the Squid is a comic book, and what I mean by that is. What is a comic book is a writer and an artist coming together with a team of technicians, you know, another artist, colorers, letterists, printers to produce a a book, right? And Mm -hmm. Hira and Shay are a writer and an artist and they work with a team of technicians and they create this thing, the squid, that Vite, as the kind of orchestrator, the publisher, right? Mm -hmm. The editor, he throws it out to the world and blows things up. That's what Watchmen was. Watchmen literally was more blows people's minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More and Gibbons blew our minds just literally. the way with Watchmen, just the way Vite blew their minds with the Squid. So more is Vite. So you know mm. your theory about Dan being Vite 
I don't know. I do like the fact that or Dan being more. This. Sorry, go ahead. I I'm just noticing this right this second. Uh, the panel with the squid in issue twelve. In the foreground, there's a, a paper and everything flying around, and it says the Vite method bodies behind your wildest imaginings. And this huge, disgusting creature's body is lying in the street. I'm like, I never noticed that before. Oh yeah, That's no, those, those things. I I went through the. Uh, there's a couple of different annotations of Watchmen available online. The Jess Nevins so, version is the one that I love. Yeah. So I downloaded all of them and I made a, I compiled them and I've started to add more things. And, and sometimes when I teach Watchmen, kind of what I do is go through it page by page and just kind of read through the annotations and point things out to my students. Um, like uh, in that page, you know what? Uh, Utopia. It's from mm-hmm. Utopia. Mm-hmm. Right. And that means, uh, Opia is related to opiates, mm-hmm. right? Painkillers. Mm-hmm. You means no, right? Like a utopia means no place. So utopia means there's no way to uh, to kill this pain. To deaden this pain. Ooh. Uh-huh. Wow. That's deep, Ogre. Ding, drink, I win. <laughs> what? Nothing. I've been um, making references all the way you know, through. Why is, why is it that... Um, 20 years later, 20, what is it, 25 years later, why is this book still so involved and deep, and why are people still making discoveries, and why are people still commenting on this book? Well, I think that it's just that, you know, simply the book, it's it's a great work of literature. Oh. I just had this argument with my wife and I said that comics are not literature and I just said it's a great work of literature. It's a great work of sequential artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cinematic, it's poetic, it's dramatic, it's literary, but it's not literature. But we can talk about that at a different time. Um, you know, that, that it, it is one of the f- really the major pieces of sequential art that uses the medium of sequential art to tell a story really that can only be told in sequential art. It, 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 it makes use of, it, it's a more, it's a much more full expression. It's like, it's like, um, it is the Citizen Kane, right? Because Citizen Kane came along and used the cinematic media mm-hmm. to tell a story in film. And, and that's what this is doing. There's a lot of things in there. People, it, it, you know, it seems so simple in some ways, right? But there's all this complexity built into it. Uh, Moore talks about underlanguage, and that's where, you know, the language in one panel has double meaning or sometimes triple meaning. Yeah. You know, you know, think about the scene where Dan and Laura are on the couch. You know, the, the, the coverage on the television yeah. comments... This on is a man in his 40s, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Oh, there's the, uh, you know, there's panel rhyme, uh, there's panel echo, um, you know, the covers right. are, are, mm-hmm. are often the are the panel. first panel mm-hmm. of the comic book. Uh, you know, this is just brilliant. Like I said, the, uh, in the first chapter, you get those half panel pages of the, you get those square character panels and, uh, 
you know, I never, I didn't notice it till I was going through it to teach it uh, last year that, wait, it's, you know, why did these four characters get the panels? Oh, they're the ones that matter, right? Mm-hmm. So this, you know, the superhero genre is a genre, uh, really a genre about men. It's about superheroes. It's not about superheroines. And it, it really breaks a lot of the rules that they tell you in, you know, the Iowa Writers Caucus about your stories. Because the, if you can say that there is a narrator, the narrator is not particularly reliable. And with a very few exceptions, you know, we talk about these four characters are the ones that matter. Uh, on a, an almost literal basis, every other character in the book dies on panel in issue 12. Virtually everybody that we know that is not Dan, Rorschach, John, Laurie, or um, uh, Skippy the Wonder Chicken is shown dead on panel. Yep. The, you know, the knothead who kills who kills uh, the first night owl, dead. Bernie and Bernard, dead. All of the characters that we see, um, Samantha, I think it was Samantha, the, the girl who was the lesbian and her fellow cab drivers didn't know she was a lesbian, yeah. dead. Joey. Yeah, Joey, thank you. Uh, the doctor and his wife, dead. I mean, it's it. you don't go through and kill your whole cast like that, and yet it still works. Yeah, it's Gwen Stacy, right? Yeah. Don't, don't, don't make friends with superheroes in their secret yeah. identities. Don't hang around with them. They're dangerous. Yeah. You'll die. And don't even tangentially you know, get involved. <coughs> if you're don't a live down the block case, from them. You die. Yeah. Don't shop at the same newsstand they shop at. Try to avoid the same city. Yes. Move to France. There's no superheroes in France. You know, if you look at, um, in the Fearful Symmetry chapter, you know, the the, um, chapter five, and the whole X marks the spot and and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's just brilliant use of sequential art. But it also adds to the thematic meaning of the story so it's you know it's saying that it's x marks the spot that's the center of the book right and it's Mm -hmm. it's pantomime there's no words you know it's 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 comics is not words and pictures comics is panels and panels right right and you know they're telling you that you know here's the x right this is the solution of the you know they lay it out right in the beginning you know right in the middle of the book except it's not in the middle of the book it's decentered and so that idea of things being decentered, that there isn't symmetry, that it's gonna that he breaks the symmetry and all these kind of things, that ties in with the, you know, that's what Veit tried to do. He tried to break the symmetry. That's what that's what cutting the Gordian knot is. It's breaking the symmetry. He tried to break the symmetry of the uh um of the uh uh US and the and the Soviet Union and you know it it, it doesn't work. And it fails him. I, I think that I, I had come to the conclusion that Veidt's plan, probably from all these other things that I read, probably failed anyway. And then this whole, you know, who is the who is we and where is here, and it just reinforces it. But he does it through; they do it through sequential artistry in a way that doesn't happen in most books. 
You were going to say something, Rodrigo? Oh, yeah, uh, about symmetry. Um, and, you know, you look at that chapter, and, and the big uh, a big focus of that chapter is Rorschach and right. the whole symmetry thing. That's how you make an inkplot test. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, if you see that there never is symmetry because the avatar of symmetry in the book is completely off kilter, like Rorschach is always just stumbling forward into this whole yeah. thing. Right. He's not actually dead, dead dog in alley this morning. Yep. Tire tread on person. Um, and then, but it, at the end, he's the only one who disagrees. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who kind of maintains that moral center. Right. Um, and he gets killed for it. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, I always looked at that as, as a reflection of Steve Ditko. Because to me, I, I think, okay, Rorschach, in my head, is based on the question. And the question was one of Steve Ditko's, you know, absolutist superheroes where there's there's black, there's white, there is, you know, never the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the fact that the character is representational about five levels beyond that. You know, it's that character taken to an almost ridiculous extreme, but then... In story, it also makes perfect sense that the one character who's that damaged is the one character who can look at this from what I believe believe to be the only really objective perspective. Everybody else is, you know, well, we need to do this for the for the greater good or for whatever. No, there's right. good, there's evil, and this is evil. Well, and he has clarity because he's, kind he's of crazy. Right. right. You know, which is another theme that you see in, in fiction a lot is that, you know, the only one who sees things for what it is, is the crazy guy. Yeah. And not, not like megalomaniac crazy, like the, the Rorschach is not functional in society. Right. And that's why he actually understands what's going on. Right. He's apart from it. It's that beautiful mind thing. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, Dr. Coogan. Well, thank very, you. It's, very uh, interesting. It is fun. I think Batman you, did it. it. Of course, Batman does everything. He's Batman. Yes, that's this. This the the Batman the overt Batman thing is one of this the two most disappointing parts of the movie movie adaptation for me. There's like there's the, another one. The Night Owl comparison to Batman, you mean, or where? Well, yeah, Night Owl basically becomes a reflection of the movie version of Batman and the movie version of Watchmen, which mm. is honestly pretty brilliant in itself when you look at it from that metatextual perspective. But right. it's also something that's kind of disappointing to me from that, you know, fat, balding, 40-ish, vaguely Jewish man perspective going, hey, you know, Stephen yeah. says people read comics to see people like them, but I don't know if that's true. Well, I think I think it's interesting because I, I do think that the Watchmen movie is more a reflection of superhero movies than it is of the the even the text itself, yeah. the, the original text. And it is its the, own the, sequel because technically it's a sequel to this, <laughs> which is a nice. sequel to itself. So it disappears up its own never mind. <laughs> up its own screech owl. All right. Dr. Coogan, anything exactly. else you want to add this week into this discussion? Uh no, I think that's about it. Just to say that, uh, you know, if you get a chance to take a class on Watchmen, it's definitely worth going online and getting the annotations, digging through them. It really, uh, it really adds to your reading and to, uh, really try to read it 
uh, as sequential, you know, read it as comics. Don't read it as words and pictures together. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. Listeners, you've heard this theory. It's time for you to comment. Use the comment section. We've got the questions posted there, and you can uh, follow along with the questions. And you can listen to this, obviously, and you've heard the line of answers. Now it's time for your feedback. Agree? Disagree? Mind blown? Actually, not mind blown? Are you sitting back smugly, stroking your chin and going, I knew this in 85 and 86, even before the book was published. I'm that smart. You are lying we'll find at out. that point, but hey. Self-delusion wow. is important to, a, <laughs> to positive <laughs> To some people, I'm sure. Um, so hey, we're going to... We're going to take a listen to uh, your comments. We're going to take a look at your comments. Rodrigo, what should we give away this week? I think we should give away, uh, like, one of those comics that we have that are, like, signed and certified. Oh, let's see. Ooh, this is a, a signed DC... Watchman in there? <laughs> I wish. No. If there was a signed Watchman, that wouldn't be going out to anybody but me. Let's look for something. Do you want to hear what the coolest signed Watchman in the world is? What's that? A friend of mine, Ben Saunders, he teaches at the University of Oregon in Eugene. He went to a Comic-Con in England when Alan Moore was there, back when Alan Moore went to Comic-Cons. Watchman number one was out. Nobody was talking to Moore at the time. So he went up and talked to him for a while. And at the end of chapter one, the uh, epigram, or epigram, epigraph, I can always get those confused, is the line from Dylan's. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, it's um, at midnight, all the agents in the superhuman crew go out and round up everyone who knows more than we do, than they do, Bob Dylan. Well, they didn't, that's actually not in the original issues. Oh. They didn't have permission at that point. So he asked more to write that into his comic book, to his copy. And right when he had done it, these other people had kind of gathered around. He looked up and said, oh, that's it. I'm not doing it for anybody else. (laughs) So he has the only copy of Watchmen number one with the Dylan quote in it. Excellent. That's the ultimate signed Watchmen. I'm not sure sure we have anything that can compare with that, but uh, our friends over at Gatekeeper Comics and Hobby have given us a copy of Supreme Power Number 1, signed by artist Gary Frank. That's like Watchmen 2, Electric Boogaloo, right? Kind of. It's kind of looking at the uh, superhero genre. We're going to give that away to somebody who has the best comment this week over at the Major Spoilers uh, podcast site. You have one week to enter. If it's past a week since the release of the show and the appearance on the site, it's too late. And in a week, we will pick somebody to uh, get a copy of this comic book. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will be back real soon to talk more comics. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. 
Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011 Coming soon on the Major Spoilers Podcast. The next time that we have Dr. Peter Coogan on the show, Dr. Coogan, what are we going to be talking about? Oh, we're going to talk about superheroine comics. Because, not superheroine, uh, but superheroines, <laughs> the, as opposed to female, female superheroes, right? Most uh, female superheroes are just, you know, boys with boobs, right? That they, they, they don't have... A real, uh, feminine, you know, an, a feminine a, identity, an approach that, yeah, feminine identity that, that there's no real reason for them to be women. As we saw with, uh, with Watchmen, the, the superheroine is decentered from the genre, is off to the side. But Batwoman Elegy by Greg Rucka and, uh, 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 Williams is, in fact, a superheroine comic book. And so we're going to talk about the design and the storytelling and the sequential artistry about that book. So go out and get it. That tells a story. How does it construct her to not just be a female superhero, but a superheroine? That's coming soon on the Major Spoilers Podcast. I suck.